This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now, when I was young, I really, really enjoyed reading the newspaper. You know what the newspaper is, right? It's actually the news on paper. So, what I used to do was I used to wake up in the morning and I used to get, you know, my, my, my cereal and my toast and my uh, Milo. And I, I really enjoyed opening up the newspaper and reading the news. And uh, what would happen would be, you know, I'll just read it basically from cover to cover. So much so that I remember uh, once when I was quite young, I was walk, walking uh, down Orchard Road near Tanks and someone actually stopped me and they were doing a survey for uh, the newspaper, Singapore Press Holdings, and they wanted to see, you know, how well people read the newspaper. So they asked me, you know, like, what was on the front page today? What was on the back page today? What was in the entertainment section? What was in the sports? And I got 10 out of 10, right? Now, fortunately, today, I still read the newspaper, but I don't really enjoy reading it as much anymore. Because I realized that when you read the things in the newspaper, these are real things that real people are suffering. Uh, and you read the newspaper, and the, the newspaper seems to be full of violence and suffering all around the world. So, you, you know, you see uh, mindless acts of violence. You see a, a Saudi journalist being murdered in his own embassy. You see grave wrongs like uh, the genocide of the Rohingyas in Myanmar. Or you see a Ukrainian journalist uh, being killed in an acid attack. You know, when you read these things, it's very hard for you to read them and not feel affected. And at the same time, this is like happening on a global level. Right? These are things happening far, far away. But then at the same time, even at a personal level, you see violence and wrong. So... Not too long ago, I was driving my car down Orchard Road and I was at the traffic lights at near Wheelock Place. You know, there's a very busy traffic light near Wheelock Place. It was quite late at night. And uh, I happened to see a couple arguing by the side of the road uh, as I was at the traffic light. And then the, the man uh, grabbed the woman's hair and started pulling her around. And obviously, since I was in the car, you know, and the cars were moving, I couldn't do anything. But I felt very affected when I saw it. I'm sure that if you were there, you would feel a bit affected too, right? And I think that's the point of what the book of Habakkuk is talking about. It's when we see violence, we see wrong, we see injustice in this world. The question that we are troubled with if we are exposed to this is... Where is God in all this, right? We are, we are puzzled. We are perplexed. We are confused by God's inactivity. And we ask ourselves, God is a God of justice. Right? God is a God who looks after the weak and innocent. But where is God? And that's why as we look at Habakkuk chapter 1, the question that the prophet Habakkuk has for God, right? In verse 2 is, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. 
or cry to you violence, but you do not save. Like this cry, how long, is the cry which we read often in the Bible, right? So in Psalm chapter 13, it's the same thing, right? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So Habakkuk the prophet is not crying out to God spontaneously or impulsively how long, right? It's obviously motivated by many hours of tears and on his knees crying to God, asking God for justice, asking God to do something about the violence and wrong that he sees around him. But what happens in verse 2? He hears silence. God does not seem to be listening. There is no response, right? It says there, I cry to you, but you do not listen. I cry to you, but you do not save. So, there was a movie that uh, came out recently. Uh, this movie called Silence. It's actually a very violent movie. Uh. So I suggest if you ever watch it, you should get your Blu-ray and you fast forward all the, the, the very sad parts. right? It's just like, some people call it like, it's like, you know, it's just like pornography with a lot of torture in it, right? There's a lot of torturing in it, right? And basically what happens is uh, there is these uh, group of Jesuit priests and it's actually recounting a real period in history because in the 18th century, I think, there were a growing group of Christians in Japan. It was like the Korea of today, right? So actually Japan could have been like the Korea of today where there were many Christians. But the emperor of that time decided to basically eliminate Christianity from Japan. And this, this movie recounts that period and it, it tells you about this fictional uh, Jesuit priest who recants of his faith. And um, two of his, um, I guess, uh, students decide to go to Japan to find this senior priest in order to to try to you know find out why what happened and they get captured too and the movie is called silence because in the movie they cry out to god you know like god has not spoken you know all the christians are suffering the the, the priest has recanted people are being tortured people are being drowned but but god is silent and that's exactly what habakkuk is is saying and so habakkuk is saying in in in, this, in these verses, right? He sees violence. He experiences violence. He experiences wrong and injustice, but, but all he hears is silence. And in verse uh, 2 to 3, it says, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong or wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife. And conflict abound. So you see here a whole, uh, uh, I guess, list of, of words describing the situation around him. Violence, injustice, wrong, destruction, strife, conflict. And the first question was, how long? How long before God answers? But I hear silence. The second question is, 
Why? Why do you tolerate this wrong? Why do you allow these things to happen? And the problem is even more acute for Habakkuk because this is not happening in the Jerusalem times, right? It's not as if he's reading the, the Jerusalem newspaper and he's reading about something happening far away in Turkey or far away in the US or far away in, in England right? or Pakistan. But these are things that are happening in Jerusalem, in Judah, among God's people. Right? Because if you think about it, if you look at the map, right, we'll refer to this map some other time but later on. But if God is real, and if God were to act, then of all the places that God would act, He would act in Judah, among God's people. He would act in Jerusalem. He would act where the temple was, because that's where God is. God is in the temple. So if God is in the temple and He's witnessing all this wrong and injustice, then why doesn't God act? So, there's a problem between Habakkuk's theology and his experience. Because his theology tells him that God is a God of justice. But his experience is, there is no justice. He looks around him, and abounding before him in front of his eyes, he sees violence, strife. Injustice, division. He goes on to say in verse 4, Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now, God had given the law to his people in order for God's rule to be exercised, His justice to be exercised in the land. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, right, God had said to His people, right, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God, your fathers is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord, that the Lord, the Lord your God that I give you. In chapter 31, Then Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years in the year for cancelling debts, during the Feast of the Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place you will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women and children, and the aliens living in your towns, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So God's people were to hear the law, keep the law, and obey the law. But what was happening? It says here that the law was paralyzed. It was like the law was like this accident victim lying in the hospital, weak and incapacitated. Right? So while the criminals and the wicked were running around, the crooks were doing everything they wanted, the law was like in hospital, weak and helpless. 
And therefore, justice never prevails. It's almost like there's lawlessness. Right? But it's not just that the, 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 the law was paralyzed and weak in the hospital. It gets even worse, right? Because it says there that there was a perversion in the justice. So not only was the law weak, right? So you understand what I'm saying? The law is weak, right? But the but justice itself is, is perverted so that the innocent go to jail, those who are good are judged as wicked. Right? So you can see that that's actually worse than if there is no law at all. Now, that's why it says there in verse 4, that the wicked hem in the righteous. It's like, like, like the wolves, the wicked, are pressing in and encircling and, and surrounding the good and the righteous and the innocent in God's land. So you can understand how Habakkuk feels, right? Imagine you're Habakkuk, you're living in the land, the, 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 the wicked go free and the innocent are thrown into prison. What a terrible situation. Obviously, as Habakkuk, you'd be asking God, how long is this going to happen? Right? Why is this happening? And after a while, you begin to ask yourself the question, is God really there? So God then answers in verse 5. So, you know, all the questions, all the prayers, and finally God answers Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth, whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. Now, uh, we don't notice it in the English translation, but uh, Habakkuk is the one praying to God. Habakkuk is the one petitioning God. But when God answers, He speaks to the plural. Uh, you all understand the difference between singular and plural, right? Okay, so Habakkuk, the singular, prays to God, one person. But God speaks back to the plural. That means God is replying not just to Habakkuk, but He's replying to the nation, the peoples. And he basically uses four verbs, right? Look, see, be astonished, wonder, right? So in your English, it's got different translations, but basically there are four verbs. Look, see, be astonished, and wonder. Now I remember when I, the last time I was astonished, right? And, and you know, and, and full of wonder, it was when I went to the gardens by the bay at the, the flower dome and the, what's the other dome? The rainforest dome, the cloud forest, or the, the cloud, the cloud something dome, right? Yes. Actually, it's quite uh, wondrous and quite astonishing. I, I mean, the first time I went in there, I was like, whoa, this is quite amazing, right? You know how cool it is, all the flowers and the big boobab trees. You know, it's quite astonishing, right? You go to the other one, the cloud forest, and you see that big, you know, waterfall, like four stories high coming down. It's, it's, it's quite impressive, right? But when we... When we look at the answer of God, look, see, be astonished, wonder. It is not a positive astonishment. Right? It's not like going to the flower dome or the, 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 the cloud dome. right? It is to be dismayed. It is to be shocked 
is to be filled with horror. Because the time of waiting is over, right? God is going to do something in verse 5, in your days, in, in the days of Habakkuk's life, God is going to answer his prayer. But Habakkuk and the nation of Judah are not going to be happy with God's answer. Because God is going to do something in their lifetime which is astonishing, but astonishingly shocking. He's going to raise up the Babylonians as his instrument of justice. Now you can imagine Habakkuk praying for God's justice. Right? You know, he's, he's, he's on his knees, he's crying, he's on, in tears, praying to God. But never in his worst nightmare would he imagine that God would raise up the Babylonians of all people to bring justice on God's people. What sort of judgment is this? Because the Babylonians are a feared and dreaded people. Now, I think in our day, we don't, when's the last time you ever feared anything or dreaded anything? I guess in our modern life, uh, yeah, we don't really ever experience that sort of thing, especially if we live in Singapore. Lah. I mean, when, when, when do you feel fear and dread? Right? I mean, like, maybe the MRT is late, uh, rains a lot, uh, but when do we actually feel fear and dread? Never, right? When's the last time you felt Fear and dread. I mean, honestly, think about it for a second. So I was thinking to myself, the last time I really felt fear and dread was, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was uh, in Australia, and I, I, was, I like to, uh, you know, go to the, go to the ocean, right? And then, uh, and then in Australia, actually, sometimes you have a sharp warning, right? So I remember when I was in the ocean, and then, uh, I mean, I, there wasn't a sharp warning, but I think for whatever my imagination thought that there might be a shark, right? My goodness! You know, the fear that you feel when you think there's a shark in the ocean and you're in the ocean, right, is, is quite amazing, right? Because, you know, you start thinking about, man, there's a big animal in here with sharp teeth and I can't see under the water. I better get out of the water as soon as possible, right? That's the feeling you get. And that is the sort of feeling that I think Habakkuk and the people of Judah, God's people, felt when God said that the Babylonians were coming. Because if you look at what uh, God continues to say, he, he uses these animal images to describe the Babylonians. Verse 8, Their horses are swifter than leopards and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come in a tent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. And they mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen ramps and they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Oh, you got to go back. Um, to the beginning, the, 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 the leopard one. Okay, so you think about it, right? So their cavalry, their horses, are like leopards. Now, if you're a deer, right, the, the, the idea of a leopard chasing you 
is a very very scary thought, right? Because you can't outrun the leopard, right? And I mean, they're like the ultimate apex predator, right? I mean, obviously, if we were like Jurassic Park, we'd think like raptors or something, right? But, but you know, literally, it's like if you're, if you are the leopard, you, you know, you will catch the prey and, and, and doesn't matter, you can't run. You can't run fast enough to escape the leopard. And that's what, that's the image of the Babylonians, right? It's like, their, their horses, their cavalry will swoop down upon you like a leopard and you can't escape. But not only that, it says there that they are fiercer than wolves at dusk, right? So you know, like wolves, if you think of a pack of wolves, I know, I mean, like, have you ever seen a pack of wolves attacking prey and tearing them apart, right? You know, it's like they're really ravenous. It's like, it's like there's no mercy, right? They'll eat the whole, the whole, Deer, whatever they're attacking, right? It's like, I, I, actually, I had some other R-rated pictures, but I, I censored it, lah, because, you know, I don't want all the blood and everything. I thought Ruo might be here. I'm give him nightmares or something, right? And then, they are like, um, birds of prey, right? So it's been translated here as eagles, right? So, you know, like, the eagle comes, and, uh, and, and you are unsuspecting, right? It's like, they are lethal and, and violent. And, uh, you know, Judah, God's people, is like a, a rabbit or a hare where it meets a violent end. And God goes on to say that, uh, you know, there's always the sense of false security which comes because Babylon was actually far away from Jerusalem and Judah. So if you look at the map, right, so can you see where Babylon is in the map? So Babylon is far away in the, what is it? Uh, east, right? It's in the east, right? Yes, it's in the east, right? Far away in the east. But Judah is, is like seemingly quite safe, right? I mean, it's, it's far, far away, right? But then, God actually says to them, He says, look, in verse 8, right? Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. In verse 9, their hordes advance like the desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. Right? Uh, they mock kings, scoff at rulers, they laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen ramps, they capture them, they sweep past like the wind. So, the desert wind, in those days, okay, you look at the map, right? Where's the desert? It's from the east. Right? Because on the west is the water, right? Okay, so the wind that comes from the water is not the desert. The, water, the desert wind comes, you see the Arabian desert? It comes from the east. And it says that, you know, Babylon is like that. It's like the wind which comes from the desert and sweeps across all the nations and wipes them out. And their prisoners will be like sand, right? You know, can you imagine how much how many prisoners Babylon will have is like prisoners like sand. Now, that image is very powerful because, you know, like when we used to have the haze, right, from Indonesia. Can you fight the haze? You can't fight the haze, right? The haze just blows over and then you are stuck with the haze. Huh? So in the same way, Babylon is like that, right? How do you fight against the wind? You can't fight against the wind. The wind just overwhelms everything in its path. And Babylon is like that, right? And I think that for 
for the nation of Judah, God's people who hear the prophecy of Habakkuk, it is shocking. It is unbelievable. It is it's something that brings dismay. Because the pictures of Babylon of such brutality, that you sort of ask yourself the question, right? I pray to God to solve one problem, right? The unjust people and the wicked people in Jerusalem. But it seems like God's solution is even worse than my initial problem, right? Because, you know, He's getting more wicked people and more violent people to solve my other violent problem, right? So I'm left with another problem of more violent people who are here. So I remember my mother uh, suffered from uh, ovarian cancer. And uh, from the moment she was diagnosed, uh, she started with her chemotherapy and uh, I don't know what other therapy that she undertook. So, you know, she lost all her hair. Her diet was very poor. She just used to eat like one egg because, you know, she lost her appetite and then she felt uh, nauseous and things like that. And in the end, uh, she dreaded the chemotherapy so much that she actually stopped the treatment because to a certain degree, it's almost as if like the chemotherapy, the treatment, is worse than the cancer itself. Like the effects of the chemotherapy seem to be worse than the effects of the cancer. And I think that's a feeling that um, the nation, hearing Habakkuk's words, would be thinking, right? Like God's solution to the injustice-violence problem of Judah is actually worse than the problem that they were praying for. Right? That Babylon would come and destroy, uh, you know, like not just the wicked, but the good. Right? It would conquer the whole nation. And these were violent, feared people. But I think the second part of the problem that was unbelievable was that God would use the ungodly to judge the godly. You know, can you imagine? These are God's people, right? And you sort of think that maybe if God wanted to judge them, He would bring some sort of plague or some sort of famine. But here you're using ungodly people to judge the godly people. So if you look up here on the slide, you know, this is the, uh, the description of the Babylonians, right? They are law to themselves. That means they are like autonomous. They don't, they don't listen to God's law. They don't obey God's law. They don't even recognize God's law. They are the law. They are the law to themselves. They are autonomous. They promote their own honor. They don't promote God's honor, right? It's not to God be the glory, right? It's, it's to themselves be the glory. Because it says there, that their own strength is their God. They worship themselves. They are confident in themselves. Not to God. So the question is, how can God use such an ungodly people to judge His own people? Not, are they, not only are they violent people and wicked people, they are ungodly people. How, how can... What, how can they be judging God's people? How can God use them as an instrument? Okay, so if you want the answer, you must come for the following weeks. Because, you know, at the end of the year, verse 11, right? So what do we learn from today's passage? What is the application? What's the point of us reading about, you know, what happened, like, you know, thousands of years ago, no? 
This happened like 2,500 years ago. Right? Why, why, why are we reading it today? Right? I think the first application for us is that God is a God who judges. But we may not understand how and when God judges. Right? The question at the beginning was, how long? How long do I have to wait? second question was, why? why? Why are we waiting? Why is God tolerating this? Well, at the end, God answered both those questions. right? He was bringing justice to the Babylonians. It was going to happen in their lifetime. He was a, a God of justice. It's just that the justice didn't come in the way that they expected or they would have desired. Now, we know from history that the prediction of Habakkuk came true, right? So you, you, you look at this map, right? This is the reality of the situation in Habakkuk's time. Judah is there, Babylon is there. By 600 BC, right, this was a, the, the expanse of Babylonian conquest, right? So you can see, yes, they were like, like, like God said, lah. they were like the leopards, they were like the wolves, they were like the eagles, right? They were like the desert wind. They just swept across all the way from east to west into uh, Egypt, to the Sinai, to Jerusalem, Persia. All of it was taken by uh, the Babylonians. Their prisoners were like sand. So what this teaches us, and it's a very valuable lesson, is God will judge. But God doesn't judge according to our timetable and our expectations. Faith, our faith, must trust in God's sovereign plan of judgment. Because we are not God. Right? God is God. So my, my, my place in this thing is to trust God that, yes, I, my theology tells me God is a God of justice. My experience is I don't see the justice yet, but my faith tells me Justice is coming. I just let God go about his business. So I remember talking to some people. I remember reading people, you know, very sadly. And uh, I mean, I feel very sad that they experience like sexual abuse. And um, some of them are very angry uh, with God uh, that this has happened. I remember... uh, reading various things, talking to some people, and they're very angry with God that, that God has let this happen uh, to them. And some of them end up even losing faith. I remember reading this thing on the internet about this lady who was very eloquent and talked about how she was uh, uh, sexually uh, abused or attacked when she went to stay at a friend's house in America, like in Canada. Right? She was sharing it uh, on the internet. And she lost her faith. She accused God of, of being unfair. And God allowed the attacker to go free. But I think that today's passage actually speaks to that situation and says actually God will judge. God will exercise judgment on violence and wrong and injustice. But not at our timetable. Not in her timetable. But God will judge. He, he, he kept his word to Habakkuk. And he will keep his word to us today. And I think that this is a, a, a very important lesson for us because one day we will experience violence or, or injustice or wrong and 
we may question God and say, why God? How long do I have to wait for justice? But faith tells me that I need to trust God's plan for justice. And I leave it to His plan. Even in Revelation chapter 6, right? Revelation chapter 6, you hear the same refrain, oh, see, I didn't do the work for you, I didn't highlight it, but you can see for yourself, right? When he opened the fifth seal, uh, the angel, right, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, right, so they, God can hear, right, because they're not whispering, they're calling out a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and when they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. So the refrain here is the same as what Habakkuk saying, right? How long? Do we need to wait for justice? How long do we have to wait to see a wrong righted? But God says, in His sovereign plan, just a little longer. And I think that for us, we have to hear the words of God. We have to be patient. Faith trusts God's plan of justice. It's not for us to dictate to God when He exercised justice. It's, it's up to God to dictate justice. It's up to us to exercise faith. The second application, I think, is a warning especially for those of us who do not know Jesus Christ. Because this passage in Habakkuk tells us that God is a God of justice and that judgment is coming. Now, if we understand this passage properly, justice is coming to those in Judah who were sinful. But if you look at verse 11, I think I put verse 11 up there, right? Is it saying on? Yep. You notice God's justice comes to those whom He uses as instruments of justice Himself, right? They are guilty. So God, in His sovereign wisdom, judges everybody for their sins. The wicked in Judah and His instruments of justice, the Babylonians. Now this should cause us to reflect, right? Because if God is a God of justice, the question that we should ask ourselves is not so much, how long, O Lord, before you judge the other people, the question we should be asking ourselves is, what am I like when God's judgment comes? Where do I stand in reference to this justice? Am I right with God today before God's justice comes? This is the idea of 2 Peter chapter 3, right? Because the certainty of God as judge and God's justice demands that Instead of looking at other people and saying, when is God going to judge you? It's to look at ourselves and ask, am I ready to meet God's justice? So in 2 Peter chapter 3 it says, 
in verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of this judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the Habakkuk passage is God showing His judgment. God has shown His judgment when He destroyed the world of Noah's time. But God promises that there will be a final destruction when Jesus comes again. How will we stand when God's judgment comes at that time? Will we be right with Him through our faith in Jesus Christ? So in conclusion, um, I remember referring to this book uh, called The Secret Thoughts of the Unlikely Convert uh, a few weeks ago when we were going through Romans. You can, the picture's not there anymore. I forgot to put it there. But it's a very good book. Uh, somebody actually, you know, that's a funny thing. You know, I, I, I quote books uh, during the sermon, right? Then people during the sermon actually buy the books as I'm preaching, right? And they tell me after the sermon that they've read the first couple of pages, right? So, you know, I, I'm a bit worried about this buying uh, e-books while I'm quoting books, right? Um, but she made a very good point, you know. She said, you know, do we come to church only to understand? Or do we come to church to trust and have faith? And that's quite profound, no? I thought, do we, you know, because, you know, if, if you only come to church to understand God, right? Then it's not the same as coming to church to trust and have faith in God. Because if we just come to church to enrich our mind, to try to understand what God is doing, then this question is said, this Pastor is saying, actually, you can't understand. Because you don't know when God is going to act, how He's going to act. But actually, coming to church is a will, a desire to want to trust and have faith in God. And what that means is, we trust and have faith in God as the God of justice, even when we cannot understand what God is doing. Even when we feel that we are running out of patience because we cannot understand. So my quiet time, uh, what day was that? I followed the Don Carson quiet time thing, right? So anyway, I think it was last week. He made us read Psalm 131, right? And um, I thought it really fit in with um, today's passage, right? Because this is David speaking. And he says, you know, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. 
So what he's saying is, you know, he's come to a mature faith where he doesn't have to understand everything. Right? There are things which are too wonderful for him. There are two things which are too great for him. He just cannot understand. So he, his soul is quieted. He is still. He's at peace with himself. He's at peace with God. He's at peace with not having to understand everything. And he's like a weaned child. So actually I have to ask my wife what, what it means to be weaned. Right? So apparently it's when the child no longer needs to be breastfed. Right? So he's saying that you know, he's grown up in his faith. He, he doesn't need, he's not like the child who is you know, always constantly crying out for his, his mother's milk. Right? He's like, he's grown up and he's mature in his faith. He doesn't need to always understand and to know everything anymore. And he puts his hope always in God, even when he cannot understand. I think that's exactly what Habakkuk is telling us today, right? We, we may not know why God is delaying his judgment. We may not know why there is injustice and wrong in this world. What, why is it, as you know, some of the things we prayed for in uh, our corporate prayer, what, why are these things happening in this world? But we can still have faith. We can still be at peace in our heart. We can still be quiet in our soul. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to take to heart what we've read today in the Habakkuk. Habakkuk kept praying, How long, O Lord, how long? And why, why was there violence, strife, division, injustice and wrong all around him, abounding around him? And you answered with a terrible answer. To his great dismay and horror, you were sending the Babylonians to judge the wicked in the people of Judah. Dear Father, help us to see that we may not know how and when you will bring your justice. But our response to you is to know that there is certain justice coming. Just as you sent the Babylonians to judge the people in Judah, just as you judged the Babylonians as well, we know that there will be a day where there will be accounting for all people. So we pray for ourselves that we will hold on all the more to Jesus, that we will have patient faith that will trust in your justice even if we do not know when or how or why you are doing things, and that we will be still and quiet in our hearts as we wait in faith. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.